Welcome to the Quick Talk Podcast with Joshua Latimer, where we discuss business, life, family, faith, struggle, fire, pain, and ultimately winning. It's time to take massive action. Look, I, I can't work harder on your life or business than you do. It's ultimately all on you. You know, God created all the food the birds would ever need, but he doesn't put it in their nest. You've got to go get it. 10 out of 10 people die. So how about doing something today that actually matters while you still can? Hey, my friends, the beginning of this podcast, probably the first three or four minutes or so, has a little bit of audio stuff, but you got to stick with it. This is an incredible interview with a fellow member of Russell's inner circle with me. This is a $25,000 mastermind group. He's a financial guy. He shares some really, really awesome stuff. It's very different. I promise this is one you're going to want to listen to. Apologies for the uh, the audio stuff. My recorder got weird and I didn't realize it. So sorry about that. I hope you enjoy it. I look forward to getting a lot of feedback on this episode. Hey, my friends, welcome to the Quick Talk Podcast. Josh, I'm super excited that you're with me. I have a special treat for you today. I've been promising you to get more of the super secret cool kids club circle, Russell Brunson's inner circle people on the podcast so we can pick their brain. These are fascinating people. There's such a wide array. And I went to Boise several months ago for my first mastermind, you know, in-person mastermind. I had the chance to meet uh, the guy I'm talking to today. His name is Ryan Lee. He's the co-founder of Atlas Wealth, as well as another business called Cashflow Tactics. He is an expert in all things financial, in terms of financial planning, creating passive income, using real estate, using your business's pre-tax money to leverage a thing, to buy the thing so you can have 16 jet skis. It's amazing. Or you can build an orphanage if you're like me. But either way, Ryan, thank you for taking some time and hanging out with me. Josh, I'm super excited to be here, man. I love what you do, man. You know, the last time we were at Inner Circle together, it was your personality, your authenticity that, that resonated most with me from all the presentations that we heard. Man, you are a guy that brings massive so I'm so grateful to be on your podcast today. I'm grateful to have you. Thank you so much for the words. I'm just a pizza delivery guy that married my high school girlfriend at 20 years old and then started cleaning windows and doing all kinds of silly things. And a lot has happened between back then and now. Um, so why don't you tell us about your backstory? You have a you know a multi-million dollar business. You have all this fancy life stuff. At least it might seem like that, but I'm sure it wasn't always like that. Can you tell us your background? Yeah, man. So for me, it was all so traditional, right? I knew I knew from a very young age that that you you just do things by the book. You go to school, you get a job, uh, you live a responsible life. And for me, I kind of bucked against that trend for a little while. You know, I I actually dropped out of high school. I don't tell that to too many people, so your your podcast audience will will get that. Dropped out of high school, didn't get my life back on track until age twenty three. And when I got it on track. I realized that I needed to get into school. I needed to be productive. And I put my head down and I got through four years of school in two. And I'll never forget, man, I graduated with my college degree. I was ready to take over the world and earn big money. And when I got that first paycheck, it was kind of like a punch to the gut because, you know, I'm sitting there on the on the doorstep of Bank of America ready to take my first paycheck in. And after all the deductions and taxes and everything that was withheld, I earned less than a thousand dollars, or I kept less than a thousand dollars. And after a four-year education, a four-year degree, you know that was kind of a reality check for me. But, but the, the path that I was on, I just committed to double down and to go faster and work harder. And so I started climbing the corporate ladder. And for me, what really, what really led me to where I'm at today were two massive epiphanies. 
Uh, number one, as I started getting promotions, every promotion that I got, it took me to a different state. The corporate world that I was in, I was moving constantly. And in the first seven years of being in the corporate world, I moved, or first six years of being in the corporate world, I moved seven times. And I was all over the place. Every promotion came with a new set of responsibilities. I was tied more to my phone. And what I was losing along the way was everything I cared about. I was losing my health. I was losing connection with my family, with my wife, my children. And I was doing it in the name of being a good provider, being a good father. But that became ever present to me that, you know, I'll never forget. I was out in Indianapolis, Indiana. My family lived in Texas, but because I was traveling so much, I had a temporary apartment in Indianapolis and my wife called me one day with tears in her eyes broken. And uh, she told me that my oldest son, who at the time was four, was going to need an emergency open heart surgery. And at that moment, I wanted to melt to the ground because the reality of me failing as a father became full circle. And I didn't know what to do, right? I came home, I took care of my family. Now granted, my my son made it through that surgery. He's stronger today and and healthier today than he's ever been. But that opened up my eyes that I couldn't continue to run on this corporate grind and this treadmill, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get out. Um, So I kind of balanced back and forth trying to figure out the next step for me. Shortly thereafter, 2008 happened. And I've always been a really good saver, but for me, all of my saving up to that point was in my company-sponsored 401k. And in 2008, along with everyone else, I lost just about everything that I had saved up to that point. And that opened me up to another reality that number one, I had zero control over my financial plan, zero. And the second reality was without any control, how could I ever predict the outcome? I've always been a good saver and I was saving a bunch of money. But when I lost all my money, I remember I was looking at my coworkers because I was still pretty young and my coworkers were people in their, you know, third, you know, that had been working for 20, 30 years. They were people that were hoping to retire in the next 10 to 15 and they were devastated. And I realized at that point, I'm doing the same thing they're doing, hoping for a different outcome. And that is literally the definition of insanity. So that set me on a wild goose chase to figure out how the independently wealthy do it. And what I discovered in the process, Josh, is that 97% of traditional finance is dangerous, misleading, or it's outright wrong. We focused on the 3%. I learned the 3% from people who are who have done things right, like you, like Russell Brunson, the mentors that we have now. And that's led me down an entirely different path. And that's that's where I'm at today. I am so pumped to have this conversation because I can go in so many directions. I don't talk about investing a lot on the show, uh, but I have some very specific financial philosophies that are super symbiotic with what you do. And so I have some questions. For me, backstory, when I was in high school, I stumbled upon Robert, Robert Kiyosaki, right? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he had some like what were revolutionary ideas to me as a young person because there's like this old way of thinking that the way to quote unquote be financially free is that you have to have a wheelbarrow, this is how I picture it, full of $1 bills. And hopefully there's enough $1 bills in this pile so that when you start taking out of the pile when you're old, hopefully you die before the dollar bills are gone, right? Like that's one way to look at it. And that's the way I thought you had to do it. And I remember when I was young thinking, you know, how am I gonna save, you know, five million one dollar bills? Like how in the heck? Like I didn't have anybody in my family that was affluent or anything like that anyway. It just seemed foreign. But then with Rich Dad Poor Dad, his like he teaches a lot of different things in there, but more or less it was this idea of this new way about cash flow. The idea that you're actually financially free Regardless if you have five million one dollar bills, the day that your passive income exceeds whatever amount of expenses you have based on the life.
lifestyle you want to live. So um, I'm with you there. Um, can you explain kind of conceptually how that works and how business owners can understand it? Yeah, totally, man. And I had the same epiphanies and revelations. I'll never forget the day I read Cashflow Tact or not Cashflow Tactics, read Rich Dad Poor Dad. You know, I first I felt kind of pissed off because I felt like I'd been lied to. That everything I'd been trained, taught, and educated to do up to that point was literally a lie. And and that book exposed it for me. Now, the 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 sadness of that book was I didn't know what to do with it, right? I knew I had a different paradigm, a different way to look at money, and it's exactly what you just mentioned. I started to evaluate the success of where I was going to put my money, not based on my net worth, because that's what traditional finance is all about. Save up that $5 million, fill up your wheelbarrow of all these ones, and hopefully one day you'll have a big enough net worth that you can walk away. But the, the reality of that is your net worth means absolutely nothing, right? Until we understand how it can transit and convert into cash flow, does your net worth mean anything? I mean, I know people that have virtually a zero net worth but are 100% financially free. So what that helped me do to begin with was to evaluate the success of an asset, not based on how much it would grow, but how much cash flow it would provide and how long that cash flow would last. And so that target became my new target. I don't care about my net worth. I care about my cash flow greater than expenses. So that, that's exactly where we start with people is helping them identify what assets will work for them because you, you hit the, the nail on the head. It has to be passive income, passive cash flow, and then their cash flow has to exceed their, their expenses. Well, and just to be clear for the audience, passive incomes means you don't have to go do stuff for the money to come in. <laughs> I've heard other people call it like mailbox money, right? I don't know if you've heard that phrase or not, but like, um, I mean, there's lots of different types of ways to get passive income, right? Like I look at um, technically a fully automated autonomous business could be passive income, or you could be, you know, a silent partner that gets a dividend out of a company, or you could own billboards or something, but have someone else manage it, or you could have mini storages. I don't know. Um Cash flow is probably the, the big one, right? Um, what what different vehicles are available, and how do how do small businesses structure or use their business to kind of set themselves up? Like, what's the framework for that? Yeah, and the, it, and what we teach people, we actually we call it the financial freedom formula. It is really really simple once you understand what to look for. But you hit the nail on the head. I mean, in order for an asset to be passive, it has to produce cash flow, and we have to treat it kind of like a system. I think that's really the best way to look at it. You know, a business for, for most people, for you and I, we run a business and that requires our active involvement involvement for it to produce cash flow. If you and I stepped away, right, how long would the business operate and continue to function? So in our investing, we've got to set it up like a system. For us, one of our favorite resources and favorite assets to look at is passive income generating real, real estate. Now, for me, when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, that seemed like an oxymoron because my first step into the real estate world was anything but passive. Right? I bought properties, I rehab properties, I renovated properties, I collected rent, I managed tenants. And honestly, I suck at it. I'm really, really bad at real estate. I'm, I'm, you met me. I'm, I'm kind of a nice guy. And you know, my tenants, they would walk all over me. And every time my phone would ring, I wanted to throw it against the wall because I knew it was a tenant with another sob story. And I knew I was going to let that tenant win, which meant I wasn't going to make any money. And so for me, I got to about three homes and I realized I had to do it different. I couldn't just buy real estate because Robert Kiyosaki and other books said that that was the way to do it. I had to build a system to make it passive. And so now the way I look at it is I own 30 properties today. In the beginning, I would spend three to five hours a week trying to manage those properties, trying to deal with tenants, trying to collect rent, fix stuff, and I can't fix anything. Today, I spend about three to five hours a month. So it's kind of mailbox money. I still have to manage my, my system but I pay people to do the majority of the work for me. 
And you know, that that's really what we focus on with our, with people is passive income. And that's the big key. Passive income has to be passive. Well, you know, the fact is, is that wealthy people view their entire paradigm on money in general, not just this passive income piece, but their entire view of the world is totally different than everybody else. And a lot of people that listen to this show, they, they call themselves business owners, but it's really a misnomer. They're they're self-employed. They don't really have a real business or multi-million dollar asset that they could leave for six months and come back and it would grow. And and that's fine. Like small business makes like runs our country. And so like these are people fighting the good fight. Like I did. I'm doing it right now with my software company. Like if I walk away, bad stuff would happen. So I'm not there yet. But in terms of the way we we shift our thinking, I think that's really where the power is. Is just understanding that there's like really wealthy people operate by a different set of rules. They play a different game completely. Can you elaborate on any of that? Man, I love that you're saying that, Josh. I mean, our number one paradigm shift that we have to get people to have is where I started 97% of traditional finance is dangerous, misleading, or wrong. The faster you can A, acknowledge it and B, accept it, the faster we can move to the 3% that actually works. And the crazy reality of it is, it's exactly what you just said. The financially independent, the wealthy, it's not that they're doing mutual funds and 401ks and stock market investing better than the average person. They're literally doing the exact opposites. Your best investment, and I know a lot of your audience are, are small business owners, your best investment is A, in yourself, in your skill sets, your mindsets, and your networks, and B, in a business that you can translate those skill sets, mindsets, and networks into producing value for the world, period. That is your best investment. But then once you've got that investment, you have to systematize it to where it becomes automated, it becomes passive. And if you can't do that, you have to build an exit strategy that is passive in nature. And the thing I love about working with business owners is a lot of us, we start off with these big dreams. We have these big dreams of going out and making a massive impact and serving the world with our unique purpose. But the business world has a tendency to beat, beat us down. It's hard. It's a grind. It takes a ton of work. And so when we can build a game plan for you that generates passive income, where you get to that now choose to be in your business, you're there because you want to be, not because you have to be, man, the whole game changes. And it, you, people get back to being in their business on purpose, not because of necessity. Yeah, and I'll let my audience in on a little secret about me is that I'm a super big nerd when it comes to understanding the history of money, the history of fiat currency. I'm into precious metals. I study cryptocurrency. I understand, you know, the, have you ever read the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, right? The history of the Federal Reserve, right? Most people, I don't, I've never really went into that on this show, although I think people would find it, you know, fascinating. So if you guys want me to go super nerdy, uh, I, I will do that. But I also was a banker for a while. So actually, you know, I, I kind of oversimplify my story. Like I'm the pizza guy and then I made, you know, a business that did almost $200,000 a month cleaning windows. But a whole bunch of stuff happened in the middle of that. Um, and one of the, a year and a half, two, three years, I was um, in the mortgage business and also I worked for J.P. Morgan Chase as a personal banker. And what I learned in my early 20s is I was indoctrinated to drink the Kool-Aid of these financial companies that sold financial products was... Um, I didn't know it at the time, but now I do very clearly that, I, first of all, I knew nothing. And people would come in and trust me, a mid-20 or young 20s, I wasn't even 25 yet, person with you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to make recommendations for them. And the way I would recommend financial products to them, different mutual funds, you know, all kinds of different stuff, was based on a really short menu of items that were you know pushed by the banks, right? And so it's literally... The same as going to McDonald's and then they upsell you on a Diet Coke and do the other thing. 
or I'll sell you on the fries. It's the same thing. And that's really, really, really bad for average people. Uh, most average people aren't willing to put in the work to even have a basic understanding on this stuff or they get frustrated by it and they'll watch football all weekend, but they won't spend an hour like on a webinar or an hour uh, reading a book about some of this stuff. And it breaks my heart because I feel like I have huge unfair advantages um, from other people. I don't know if you feel that way. I, I've never found a way to articulate it. I don't talk about it a lot on the show, um, but it, it's true. So sorry for the rant. It's just I want to validate the point that the, there are two sets of rules. Average middle class and lower class people go to the bank. The bank tells them to do stuff. They buy mutual funds. All the rich people, they don't do that. They do other things. Um, it's just Josh, you're hitting a point that is so critically important. Okay. And this is another paradigm shift that we have to have people take when they, when they come and work with us, no one will care more about the success of your financial plan than you. And we've been trained, taught and educated in the traditional financial world that guys like you used to be where you were selling from a menu of options, right? The second that person presses the buy button and they buy that, that whatever mutual fund or stock or whatever it is, all control is gone. Yeah, and I make a whole bunch of money because I, I got someone to push a button on the menu. Bingo. So the independently wealthy, so many people want to look at what they're doing today to, to say, okay, Warren Buffett is doing the X, Y, Z today. We got to scratch that. We have to look at what they did to become wealthy, not what they're doing today. And in all cases, every single one, every person has become independently wealthy in one of two ways, period. A, through owning a business, or B, through investment real estate. That is it. We call that the four pillars of wealth creation. I won't go into the details of that. But will all the mutual fund millionaires please stand up? And there's none of them. No one, right? No one is going to make it using traditional systems, but that is what is peddled and pushed from beginning to end. And, I mean, anyone can Google it. I mean, we all fill it, and that's why people go and sedate, and they watch football all weekend. They don't want to actually look at their financial plan until they're forced to do it because they don't know what to do. So the first thing we have to realize, you have to be in control. The second thing is there are really only a few ways to do it. And once you accept it, then we can figure out how to do it for you. And, and your audience are business owners. So that's one of the massive benefits that they have is they have an investment that can generate massive amounts of wealth if they know how to you know, do some of the things that you've done through ClickFunnels and Russell and mentors and education and systems and all that kind of stuff. Oh, baby. This is good stuff. I think I, there's a chance we're generating even more questions than people had before they started listening. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's a Jekyll, the, the, the creature from Jekyll Island rabbit hole with you because that's a fun one to go through. Let's from. do it. You're the guy. I mean, you'll know more about it than me. I'm like a hobbyist with this stuff, you know. But basically, um, and, and for everybody listening and for you, if you've never, there's this video online called The Earth Plus 5%, I think is what it's called. Have you, are you familiar with that video? I'm familiar with that, man. We're talking, man. I didn't know you, that you were down with all this stuff. You guys have to all pause the podcast if you have to so that you can write this down. But the earth plus 5%. I'll, do you want to explain it since you know you're the financial guy? Go ahead and explain in the simplest with a crayon on construction paper way how debt-based money works, how fractional reserve banking works, and why it's good for the banks and bad for us. I mean, gosh, the easiest thing to realize and understand is money doesn't exist. That's really what it comes down to. If you look at the dollar bill, literally the dollar bill says it's a Federal Reserve note. So it's the government standing behind a piece of paper. Well, when you sign when you sign to buy a mortgage, one of the documents you sign is called a note. Note is yeah. a synonym for debt. That's what it means. Okay, keep going. I mean, we, we could spend hours going through that because this took me years to shift my paradigm and go down that rabbit hole. And, and honestly, you have to put a disclaimer out there, Josh, before anyone does that. You will never look at the world, 
the same once you start going down that rabbit hole and you realize how the government, how the bureaucracies use money as a way to, and I'm going to say incentivize behavior, that's a nice way to say it, but they use money to enslave people, period. Who was it so, that said, I care not who um, makes the, a country's laws as long as I control the money? I butchered the quote, but was that a Rothschild or who? The Rothschild, yeah, because the Rothschild was like, dude, own nothing, control everything. That was their whole game. And they, they built an empire off of using monetary currency and the fact that money doesn't really exist. And I know we're getting way off in left field. No, here. this Jeez. is awesome. People are totally eating popcorn and listening to this. Trust me, this is fascinating. For anyone that nerds out. But to me, I view money as precious metals or things that are intrinsic. And then I, I separate. I don't call dollars money. I call it currency. Um, I don't know if you view it that way. But, I mean, you can't manufacture more gold. You can't invent it. I mean, you could fake it. You could have fake gold. Um, but you can manufacture currency as much as you want. That's why I think the dollar today is worth like 4% of its original value in 1914 or whenever they first did it or whatever. Is, is, is that about right? Yeah, it's 100%. It's about 97% of what has been devalued because the the fractional reserve banking system, A, we print currency. So 2008, when the economy was going down, the government just injected more currency into the economy that has a massive negative impact over time because of inflation. We all feel it, right? We all can see it. When we go to the gas pump, we go to the grocery store, it's, it's more expensive today. Our dollars don't buy the same thing that they used to buy. Now, before 1971, Every dollar used to be backed by gold. So you could literally take that, that $20 bill and exchange it with the federal government. That was the theory behind it mm -hmm. for an equivalent amount of gold. In 1971, it actually became illegal to back currency with gold. And from that point on, it's just been unleashed the printing presses. So the banks perpetuate the system because they create money out of thin air every time they lend. The government fuels the system by, by not backing the, the, the currency with, with an actual asset. And it's all built on a house of cards. So, Josh, I love that you're buying gold. We call it a chaos hedge. We have in our financial model, one of the core pieces of your foundation is you have to get hedge against chaos. Mm. Because it's not a matter of if things are going to go down. It's when things are going to go down. We had a, a young lady here. I guess not a young lady. She's in her 40s. And she spoke about what her life was like when the Russian economy went down. And how that, I mean, dollars, ru rubles, or ruble, I can't mm -hmm. remember. Rubles. Nothing. They, you know, they went from something to nothing overnight, and people's lives were destroyed because they banked everything on a piece of paper backed by a government promise. You know, I think people in America struggle with this idea um, because it feels like, well, the dollar's not going anywhere, and we do have an unfair advantage as a country because we're the world's reserve currency. All nations use the dollar. For example, Germany wants to buy oil from Saudi Arabia; they pay for it in dollars. There's all kinds of like secret weapons that we have that make our company, our country extremely rich and full of opportunity. But at the end of the day, to simplify for me, I like that if you can't touch it, you don't own it kind of philosophy. I like tangible things that I can touch it and smell it and feel it and poke it. And whether it's a mutual fund or a piece of paper or a Federal Reserve note or any of that stuff, that's fine. Like you use that stuff to transact with, but when it comes to creating wealth, the plan for me in my life is to own things I can touch right? Um, hopefully that's resonating with people. You're right that this is a 73-hour conversation to have, um, but fundamentally, we can use our businesses to start playing the rules that the, the super wealthy people play by, even if our business is small now, correct? Absolutely, because man, just to hit on that one more time, think about real estate and think about business. Those are things that you can touch. Those are real assets that have real value. Now, they're transacted with paper currency, 
but they appreciate in value. They offer real tax advantages. You can leverage skill sets, mindsets, networks, as well as money. They're real assets. That's what separates real estate and business from mutual funds. Mutual funds are just paper assets backed by someone else's business. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, can you speak a little bit about using like your business's cash flow to kind of funnel into different vehicles? Or I'm not sure the exact strategy, but maybe give us an example of something a a carpet cleaning business that does a million dollars a year. They're cash flowing two hundred fifty thousand. The owner maybe takes a hundred thousand in salary, but maybe instead of taking the other hundred and fifty in you know uh, distributions and buying sixteen jet skis, maybe they use that money somehow. Can you maybe? go over what that would possibly look like for someone so here here's the reality of it for most businesses and and you know who know what who knows what the actual statistics are but i i feel like most business owners they feel like this constant sense of pressure and anxiety we call it hunted by the wolf if they don't show up and produce whatever their business is then their business goes down within a matter of days months or years right and so what most people do is they ride this massive roller coaster in their business they're successful they're not they're successful they're not they're up they're down they make money they lose money i can't relate to that at all i'm not sure i don't understand your reference no <laughs> everyone else relate that we've been at, we've been at the top when things are riding high and we've been at the bottom when we're like man i'm closing the doors i can't take it anymore um, but the reality of it is i mean you you brought up a business owner who maybe takes $100,000 as income okay and so if we look at that that business owner has a lifestyle that costs $100,000 per year. So if that business owner wants to walk away from his business tomorrow, one of two things has to happen. He has to be able to sell his business for a big enough lump sum of money that he can live off interest or, or you know, in value increase uh, for a period of time. If he can't sell his business, then he needs to build an exit strategy. And that's where passive income comes in. Cash flow has to be greater than expenses. And we now know our expenses are $100,000 a year. So now we know what our cash flow needs to be. And there's incremental phases that we build into a game plan, but that's the reality. If you want to get off the roller coaster of making money and losing money, figure out how to A, make money, and that's what you're doing in your business. The next step is we don't go right to investing. We figure out how to keep the money that we make. Build, maintain, build, maintain. Once we know how to keep the money we make, and that's through tax strategy and where to put it, the next step of the process is how do we build a stream of passive income or streams of passive income that doesn't divert our attention because remember, your business is your best investment. And anything that's going to teach you how to flip homes or do real estate on the weekend, unless, unless that is your unique skill set as an individual, that's a diversion from your business, which your business is your best investment. So on the back end now, we just have to bring passive income opportunities to the table to say, look, you have to be in control. Now we have to generate passive income and we know what our target is, $100,000 of passive income. And honestly, guys, that can be that can happen so so fast when you know the rules of money. One of the things that Robert Kiyosaki said in his book Rich Dad Poor Dad that you referenced is the rules of the game have changed. And most people don't know that they're playing the game of money by a set of rules that mathematically will never work for them. They will never be financially free ever. They're trapped in a system thinking that mutual funds and IRAs and deferring taxes will win, but the game has changed. And we've mentioned it a little bit with inflation and with you know, the way the Federal Reserve System works today. But guys, that's really the reality is you have to build a system that will allow you to have an exit strategy with passive income. Well, one of the things that's cool with not just well, cash flow tactics and what you and your partner Brad have put together is you're helping people do this um, in like less than a decade. And so my encouragement to anybody listening to this is I want you to metaphorically push pause 
and turn and look back at the last 10 years of your life and realize how quickly that went by and how little progress was made for many of you. Although maybe you made like good progress with your business, are you really that much closer to being actually free financially, right? Um, the strategies that Brad uses, and a lot of the people in the inner circle do business with you. We, we won't have to name names, but very prominent people trust you guys and they're doing what you teach them. And uh, hopefully me soon too. Um, so how do you, how does that work? How can that be so quick? I mean, people that go to school, get a job, you work for 40 years and hopefully, you know, you don't get screwed by your 401k and you live this pauper lifestyle until you're dead. That takes a long time, right? And, and that, that the reality of that is, you know, if you look at the statistics, people are just miserable. They're desperate because they're, they're deferring their, their, their hope of being able to control their time to a future date. And day after day, they wake up, they grind it out, whether it's in their business or in a job. For me, I, I literally, I'm not even exaggerating with this. On Sunday night, I would have to jump up and down and slap myself in the face to get ready to go and be me on Monday again, because it was so hard to put on my tie and go do it again. So our goal is, you know, money, if we go back to where we started, money doesn't exist. It's just a tool. And real wealth is when you own and control your time and you can use your time however you want. Some of that will be spent with your family. Some of that will be spent doing the stuff that we see on Facebook, traveling and all that kind of stuff. But really the majority of it is, Josh, people have a purpose here on earth and your purpose and my purpose are different. And if we both live our life on purpose, there's mutual value in that because we can exchange and exchange creates ultimate wealth. So for us, the, the reason we call it the science of collapsing time is it, it came from a movie Interstellar. If you haven't watched the movie Interstellar, there's this scene that just blew my mind. You know, they're talking about time travel and wormholes and all this stuff. And for us as humans, we understand time is linear, right? I mean, 12, 24 hours in a day, 365 days in a year, there's nothing we can do to make that go faster or slower. It is what it is. But in a wormhole, they talk about this idea of bending time. And we take what would have been 10 year, 40 years and if we bend time, we can bring 40 years into the present much quicker. And that's all it is. When we use the, the rules of money that we talk about, 97% doesn't work, 3% does. When we use the 3%, we can literally bend time and take what usually takes most people 40 years to maybe make it work using traditional systems. We can do it in 10 years or less. And it's understanding what the wealthy do, where they put their money, and how mathematically when you put your money in the right places – time accelerates. You get bigger returns over a shorter period of time. With less risk too. Cause I, I know some of the secrets that you do that we haven't gotten into. And when we scheduled this, uh, this interview, I didn't, there's more here to talk about. So I don't know. You're really busy. You're building a huge business. You're working with Alex Sharfin. you're building the empire over there, but would you be willing to come back on maybe and we can have a follow-up episode in terms of like some really practical things people can do or go deeper down the rabbit hole? Because I still want to talk to you about some family systems and some things and really our conversation just got way too nerdy and amazing too quick. I want to I wanna like get some feedback from my listeners and, and come back to them with some really nuts and bolts like do this, do that. I don't, I don't even know, but I don't want to yeah. blab on for seven hours either. Uh, would you be willing to do that? I would love to, man. We'll, we'll come back with some tactics of, okay, step one, step two, step three. This is how you do it. Yeah, because I know that people know there's something here. They know that some weird stuff's going on. I know for me, I don't trust the stock market at all, literally at all. The manipulation is just next level, wild, crazy. Even, even the COMEX is manipulated, and that's supposed to be a precious metal exchange, but it's trading paper representing precious metal. 
And there's so many things that we can talk about. So um, <laughs> uh, I just want to like nerd out with you for seven hours, but I want to get some feedback from the listeners. So there's your call to action listeners. Let me know what your questions are. Let me know how, like the things you're confused on, on how someone's brain like uh, Ryan here can be translated to help you get financially free quicker using the cash flow of your business. Uh, or if you're confused, I'll try to put together a, maybe up front, maybe some more detailed questions or something like that. But um, so thank you for doing that. And before you go, as the ending feature, uh, feature of our podcast today, I want to talk about family culture real quick. Because I meant to talk about it at the beginning, but we got way too nerdy, way too fast. Uh, you have three kids, right? I do. You also have a family crest that was designed for your family and family swag. And I see pictures of your family wearing their, their Lee family t-shirts and all this stuff. And they got hats. And when I talked to you privately a few weeks ago, that's what inspired me to do the same thing. So yes, I copied you. Anybody that saw my Facebook, it's because of him, because I am all about family systems. And uh, so tell us about that. How did that happen? What's it been like doing that for your family? Man, it's, it's been such a revolutionary experience. I mean, we wanted a framework. The world that we live in today, it's so difficult. And I think, you know, when we're parents, we have this natural tendency to let the world raise our kids for us, right? And I'm speaking generally, we, you know, once our kids get a certain age, we send them off to school. And the majority of their development and education, we expect, and I'm saying this, you know, broad, broad No, strokes. just go, I'm with you, dude. Myron Golden calls it government indoctrination camps. <laughs> Uh, and I know that could take us on a whole other rabbit hole, but guys, at the end of the day, we have no more power, better responsibility than to be parents and be stewards over the children that we have and to raise them with values, to raise them in a system that will perpetuate the values that we create. And for us, we wanted to embody that with a family crest. If you look back at, at and this, you know, if we take a monetary perspective on this money that lasts, it's not that, you know, people are investing better than everyone else. They've built a better family culture so people know how to use money as a tool to perpetuate value throughout generations. And so a crest really embodies what your family stands for. And we put that together over three months with my family a couple of years back, and it was so fun. We went on these hikes, and every Sunday we'd go out on a hike, and we'd talk about what Lees stand for, who we are as people. And once we had the words that we liked, we then you know it, it found images that that you know communicated that. And we took the words and the images and we made a family crest and we designed it together. We drew it out the best that we could see it. And then we gave it to a graphic artist who made some really cool renditions for us. And now we put it on our wall. So in our house, it's on our wall. We know what our family stands for. We wear it on our shirts. We wear it on our hats. We have little you know, patches on backpacks when our kids are out in the world. And it gives us a really unique opportunity and a unique framework with our children to model behavior and, and a framework that we can all rise and aspire to become better as a collective unit. Mm, mm, mm. You know, I talk a lot on, on my show about systems, about culture, about, you know, uh, treating your employees as internal customers instead of external, you know, just having your external customers and your employees do what I say my way. That Like culture is huge. It's a giant thing. It's how you leverage people. It's how you get people to do the right thing when no one's looking. It's how it's how you just maximize people's skill sets and talents. And our job is to drive the culture. But we forget the most important thing in the whole world. And the reason we all told ourselves we started doing this in the first place was for our family 
And I know for me, our marriage took a really big hard hit early in my business before I built it and sold it when it wasn't working because I worked all the time and we had the age old classic husband wife disagreement of you're never home. You don't love me. And then I'd say, don't you know, everything I do is for this family. What's wrong? You know, I want respect. I demand. Re-. And like, it's yeah. so ridiculous, but. I know that the heart of people listening to this, they want to be great parents. They want to do epic stuff. They want to leave a legacy. And my kids, I have five kids because I'm wacko, um, and I love it. But a lot of tax deductions. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's why we did it. No, but it's it's going by so fast, and I'm still in build mode. I'm an entrepreneur, man. If I if I had a hundred million in my checking account today, I'd start another business tomorrow. Anyway, um, I'm just I like it, but. Family systems is what has helped save all that for us. It's helped make me intentional. You know, the the one-on-one days I have with each of my kids, like we talked about. We have our birthright. We have all these things. And so I'm just with you. I, I was just happy to find another person that was doing it. I never even really heard of this. I'll tell you what. So we, we, we operate by three C's in our family. It's communication, connection, and culture. And I love that you met, you built culture. The, the, the crest is really a way to symbolize the culture that we're trying to create. And, man, it's not perfect, right? I think that's part of being a parent is just doing the best you can every single day, knowing that we're imperfect in the process. Check out my shirt. Can you see this? What do you, a massive imperfect action. Heck yeah. Bam. I love it. <laughs> but for us, we, the way we've done this is we've set 90-day targets. And that's been such a huge it's been a huge way for us to, again, take what's in the future and bring it to the present. We set little targets that as a family, we try to, we, we work on hitting. And at the end of 90 days, we celebrate, right? We create a culture, we celebrate our wins, we celebrate our losses. We celebrate the fact that we're moving forward and we're expanding as a family and as individuals. And it's just, it's a, the crest is just a way to kind of embody all of it. And it gives us a framework. I mean, the way we pay our kids, the way we use money in our family, it just gives us a framework to, to have constant dialogue and communication in our family, build a culture that matters, and and create moments that that really drive connection. Man, I love it so much. I just want to high-five you through the internet right now, but bam! Yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you for taking so much time out of your busy day, and I hope uh, we can connect in the next few weeks again and go deeper. I have a feeling, I just have that gut feeling people are going to freak out and want to learn a lot more about this. So appreciate your time. Thank God for Russell Brunson so I can meet you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, brother. Thanks, Josh. Hey, thanks for hanging out, friends. And from all of us here at the Quick Talk Podcast team, we hope you love today's show. We hope that you were inspired to become a doer and not just a listener. Apply what you've heard today in your own business and watch things change for the better. Lastly, remember that all the money in the world can't save your soul. Seek first the kingdom of God, my friends. We'll see you next time. For more information about the Quick Talk Podcast or Joshua's other businesses, visit our website, quicktalkpodcast.com. Have a blessed day.